Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. As I told you last week, we're just going to, we only have time really to reflect on one verse. One verse today, it's uh, such a, a magnificent verse that it's usually definitely in the top five of you know, all favourite verses. When you, when you think of John 3.16, you think of Psalm 23, you think of all these, you know, um, Jeremiah 29.11, you know, everyone loves that one, right? But here Romans 8.28, that's, that's up there, right? That's definitely up there. And so there's so much in this verse that I know since we had communion, I, we really only have time just to go through it. I just want to spend some time on it. And the title I've given it today is, What is the ultimate purpose of God? Just keep that question in mind and we'll be revisiting it later in the message, really at the conclusion of the message, because it all brings it together. So Romans 8.28, there it is on the board, if you don't have your Bibles with you. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You probably know it off by heart. You don't even need to read it. But when you think of this verse, and you think of everything that is recorded in the Bible, is there a particular story that comes to mind? For me, it was Joseph. For me, it was Joseph. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, remember he was given the coat of many colors from his father. There were, he had many brothers. They were jealous. He was the youngest. He was the favorite. And they decided to um, do some harm to him and make it look like that he had been murdered. So you remember the story? They um, threw him in a, a hole was it, they put blood on the coat, they gave the coat to Jacob, it was Israel at that time I think, and, and they said, oh, so I'm, we're so sorry, um, Joseph, was, uh, Joseph was killed. But in reality he was sold to some, uh, to some masters, some slave masters. He found his, Joseph found his way um, into Egypt, um, along with prison and everything like that, got himself to the place of prime minister, and long behold, at that time, there was a famine. Joseph was like the rescuer of the famine, with his wisdom that obviously God gave him to rescue Egypt. And so there he sees his brothers um, coming for help since they were in a famine as well and they found out Egypt has lots of grains available. Um, wow. Who was it more awkward for? Was it more awkward for the sons or for Joseph? Right? Um, the verse that sticks out, really, when you, the, you see the encounter, it's found, I think I have it up here, uh, the reference, yeah, Genesis 50, verse 20, if you, if you want to reflect on this story later this week. Um, as for you, Joseph tells his brothers, you meant evil against me. 
but God meant it, or you could say God used it for good. Bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now that right there, experiencing that kind of betrayal from your own family, and then to say that to them, well, that's quite honourable, isn't it? And then we look at our own lives, and we ask this question, how, how are you working it together for good? Yes, I can see that, Joseph, the story of Joseph. I can see how you brought that together for good. That's, that's, that makes sense. But what about my own life? What about my own circumstances? What in the world are you doing, Lord? How many times have you asked that question to the Lord? Well, firstly, let's reflect on an important phrase um, that usually people neglect. Paul's writing to a Gentile, primarily Gentile church. Okay? Uh, There was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles at that time, but it was becoming to being primarily Gentile. But he still says, we know and we know. And we have to stop there. And ask ourselves, do we know? Do we believe it? Do we trust in it? Do we know that God works things all together for good? Well, it's in God's word. And this is where we have to come to the conclusion. Do we trust what's in here is profitable? Do we believe every part of it is the inspiration of God, as we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16? Do we know it? Do we believe it? Or, to put it another way, do we, do we know it up here as well as knowing it in here. So we know that all things, and this is another part of it, all things it says. Now I heard an interesting interpretation of this verse this week where someone would read this, yep, those who are the court according to his purpose. And so therefore... Therefore, it's only those things that God works together for good when it is to do with his purpose. So my question is, what about when we make a bad decision that doesn't go along with his purpose? Does he work that together for good? Interesting interpretation. But to me, if you're a child of God and it's things, I'm to interpret it to say it's all things. So even when those times when we do stuff up, 
we do, you know, decide to not, uh, or we decide to make a decision that we know it's against God's design for us, can he use that for good? I think he can. I'm believing all means all. I just think of, like, for instance, what I'm thinking of is like, I've, I've taught for 15 years now at Christian schools and you see so much potential in students and then they go and make a, a silly decision by, um, by falling into a temptation of sleeping with another person, they become pregnant and it's like, ah, Why'd you do that first? But then, oh, what, 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 what have you just lost? But can God still use that to bring about it for good? I'm going to say yes, but He just does it in a different way to what it could have been if that person didn't fall pregnant. Now, we're getting into the mind of God. And again, we ask the question, how? And there's going to be times when we do get an answer to that how. We do get glimpses of it, yes? But there are many times when we don't. It brings confusion. It brings doubt. Which brings us back to (laughs) the knowing. We have to know it. We have to believe it. We have to trust in it. So even when we stuff up, I think God can work it for good. Why? Because we're his children. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't give up on us. And we'll get back to what that purpose is. Because firstly, notice it doesn't say purposes. It says purpose. They work together. All these things that are happening in our lives, God's working it together. Now, this working together is actually one word in the Greek, and it's actually the word that we get our English word synergy from. Now, synergy, if you don't know the definition, the exact definition of synergy, I did have to look it up, and I'll put it up on the board for you. Okay? Synergy, the cooperative working together of two or more people or organizations or even um, aspects or things, okay? It's not limited to those two concepts in life or to those two entities. But it's when their combined effect is greater than the sum of their individual efforts. It's when the effect is greater when they're putting it together. So what is our definition of good? (laughs) That's what we have to really examine, really contemplate. Because, I'm sorry, God's definition of good is probably not the same of what we think is good. It might not be something that is comfortable. 
it might not be something that, yeah, we have this earthly view of good in this world and that might not be it. So just keep that in mind when you're reflecting on your own life here and the seasons you've been through. Maybe you're going through a season right now. But we also have to be mindful that, again, this is, this is a promise from God that's not for everyone. And so it's, I think it's dangerous, actually, when we, when we are ministering to someone who is an unbeliever and we go and they're, they're in a low point in their life and we're telling them, oh, it's all right. God's working it together for good. I think that's quite dangerous because God's actually not if they're an unbeliever. It's only to those who love God. It's only to those who are his children. This is a unique promise that's for us and not for the lost. That's just what Scripture says. But I also find it interesting because earlier in chapter 8, which we've just gone through, he's reflected or he's described Christians as those who just, they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. But here he describes children of God as those who love him. And we get tempted then to think, oh, wow, oh, I have it up here. How much do we love God? And we think, oh, well, I'm not really showing that I love God as much as I should. And I'm tempted to think, well, maybe God's not working in that situation. And I don't think that's what God wants us to do. Notice Paul does not put a measurement on this love. It's those who love God, which tells me you either love God or you don't. Now, this is very important to understand because it's true. We either love God or we don't. Now, we might have different measurements throughout different seasons of life on how much love we have for God. But still, the fact remains, we either love him or we don't. It comes to the point where you read, and I want you to do this this week, Ephesians 6.24, where it describes that we have an undying love for God. We have an undying love for God. It cannot die. Maybe it can diminish and increase, but it can never die. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Your heart will always remain transformed, renewed, born again. Always. God will never undo that. He cannot undo that. He cannot deny himself, as 1 Timothy 
Uh, 2 Timothy 2 says, 2 So when these doubts come into your mind, and yes, you confess, okay, that was a stupid decision, God can still use that for good. He doesn't give up on us, no matter how many times we might stuff up. But then he brings a second description or a second characteristic to those who love God, and that is to those who are the called according to his purpose. The called. When we came to Christ, like when we first trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, there had to be something to respond to. That's why it says we love him because he first loved us. He demonstrated his love first, right? On the cross. If there was no cross, if there was no love from God, what love is there to respond to? Would we be loving him if there was nothing to love? No. So we do love him because he first loved us. But in that love... In a way, he has called us. He has invited us. He has spoken to us. Another way that the Gospels put it, he has convicted us. The Holy Spirit's role in this world, in the world, okay, separate to the Holy Spirit's role in us, is to convict the world of their sins. So that conviction is a way for us to respond to him. He's called us. Our responsibility is to respond to that calling. That's the voice that probably was inside you, which said, hey, you're a sinner. You are in need of forgiveness. That voice speaking on first person of God saying, I have given my life for you so that you can have forgiveness. All you need to do is believe that. That's a conversation, right? You've responded to a calling. And then we're going to read later in Romans that we are responsible for calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. We're just responding to that calling. It's interesting because the debate within churches these days is that a sinner's prayer doesn't save. You know, a sinner's prayer is not actually in the Bible. But usually independent Baptist churches have thrived off the sinner's prayer. We, inv- we have the invitation. But all a sinner's prayer is, is just a, a way for us to call upon the name of the Lord. Even though I still, I still think uh, that with those churches who do have the altar call, all right, and they say, come, come to the front if you want to be saved, I think right then and there, you, even before you left your seat, you've just called upon the name of the Lord to save you. Even though it didn't come out of your mouth, <laughs> but you made a decision. You want to be saved. You want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So it's just interesting why we have these debates because it's neither here nor there. 
You call upon the name of the Lord. Either do it publicly or do it like I did. I did it alone in my bedroom. You can do it right there in your seat. And even if you're thinking right now, oh, I can't remember a time when I've actually done it. But you know you trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Oh, I don't know. Do it now. Just to be sure. (laughs) The Lord knows. But we are the court according to his purpose. Again, it doesn't say purposes. So I finish on this. What is the ultimate purpose of God? Just think about that question. Because I think it's to do with this verse. Everything that's happening in your life, God's working it for good for his purpose, right? But what's that purpose? Is it so you'll just be joyful? Is it so you just have peace? Is it just so you'll be sure to make sure that, that you're giving to the church? Is it just to make sure that you're attending church every Sunday? Is that his purpose? And then we think, oh, what's happening? And we are given a hint. This is what I believe the purpose is, as we're told in the next verse. I think his purpose is, for us all, is to be conformed into the image of Christ. Every single thing that's happening, the purpose is to conform you into the image of Christ. Now, does it always happen? Because you might think back to maybe a person that you know, they're a Christian, something terrible happened to them, they didn't do what they should, they probably did the opposite, they probably ended up hating him or saying that they hate him. God not fulfill his purpose? Well, the answer is no. He did. He will. Because we will all be conformed into the image of Christ through our glorification. We are all, or those of us, I'm trusting everyone in here has trusted Christ as their saviour, and I, I know most of you, All of us, regardless of where we are at in our journey of conforming into the image of Christ, all of us will be up here saying that this is the image of Christ right here. Now, God's desire, right, is for us to start here because we all start here. We all start as babes when we come to a faith in Christ. And it's to gradually grow. Our maturity will, should grow. That's, that's God's desire. We should all agree on that. Does it mean it always happens? Does it mean that, let's just say someone here is a babe in Christ, and let's just say they remain a babe their, their whole life, 
They, they're just so immature in their faith. Does it mean they'll never get up here? No. We will all get up there eventually. And that's where we need each other. We need each other to encourage one another in growing our conformity to Christ. That's the goal. Every day. Maybe asking the question, what would Jesus do? Lots of people like that. But it's just another way of conforming into the image of Christ, growing our faith. But eventually, all of us, his purpose will be fulfilled, regardless of here in this world. But don't get me wrong. His desire for all of us is to keep on growing. And we might, we might get close when we're maybe, regardless of how old, we might get close, but we'll fully be there. And this is what Paul's talking about, remember? Paul, starting in verse, what was it, 18. He's talking about, was it 18? Our glorification, the completeness of our salvation. Now, 17. He starts in verse 17. This is like the final facet of our salvation. Paul, starting at, I think it was chapter 3, was it not? Chapter 3 started talking about what salvation actually means, the love of God. And then he's getting into more detail. He's getting more deeper. And this is why some people get lost in Romans. Some people can't because they say, what, what's Paul talking about? And we're, at, we're, at, we're pretty deep right here. But this is the final facet of our salvation, our glorification. And he's going to sum it up. Um, he's going to sum it up. In the next couple of verses, 30. And then he continues to say, to reiterate that, hey, remember, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. His love cannot separate you from him. Never. Nothing can. So we look at God's sovereignty, which just is just God's sovereignty is just. Here's the application. Believe in God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty means he is the ruler of this world. He is in control of absolutely everything. Now, some people differ with what that control actually means. Does he control us in regards to he determines every single thing that happens to us? I tend to stay away from that because then I ask myself, what? He determined Hitler to kill all those Jews? He determined that Putin invade Ukraine. He's the one that orchestrated the coronavirus to come out of that biolab. I don't think so. But he's still in control. He's still in control. He's in control of your life. Every single thing that's happening to you, he knows about it. 
So, is there a particular verse that comes to your mind for us to leave on? Is it this one, by any chance? One of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many times do we want to lean on our own understanding? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What a wonderful life verse. This is for every one of us. I just love it how he says, with all your heart, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Anyone do that? I don't. <laughs> that's, 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 that's a goal. But I confess, just like the rest of you probably, we get distracted. We tend to think on things that are happening around us and then we lose focus on what's actually happening. All your heart, all your ways, and he will make your path straight. That's the application for us today. And that's a prayer that um, we should be praying every single day. So let's do that right now for that help. Father God, we, uh, we thank you that you are a, a God that is trustworthy, that we can trust you, that you're a sovereign God. It's really up to us to believe it. And Father, we confess we know there are times when you get distracted, but you're always there. You've always been there, regardless of how long those seasons are where we get distracted, whether it's days or weeks or months, maybe even decades, Lord. Help us to reflect right now on your grace and on your mercy, knowing that you will never leave us nor forsake us, knowing that you never give up on us, knowing that we are your own. And we rejoice in the fact that it's got nothing to do with what we bring to the table. It's all because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Empower us just to live out these verses found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to trust in Romans 8.28, especially when things aren't going as we think they should. Help us to always have in mind the goal of conforming into the image of Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.